my name is Justin Worth, and uh, I am the youth director here at uh, Foothills Church, and uh, it's also my privilege to be an elder. And uh, I'm really, really looking forward to today. It was uh, such a sweet message to prepare for. And um, th- my biggest problem was I ended up with way too much information, and so trying to uh, get a concise uh, message that didn't last three hours uh, was, was my goal. You laugh, but uh, I really, really did have to narrow it down. Um, I'm also amazed at, at God. Anyone else just very constantly amazed by, by what he does? Yeah, th- amen, good, that, three of us, yes. Um, <laughs> Show of hands. Uh, you know, you know it, it was amazing, you know, when Roger and Michelle uh, went out for a well-deserved break and uh, asked Darren, John, and myself to, uh, to preach on uh, these three Sundays, we, uh, we didn't communicate with each other what each of us were going to preach. And in God's sovereignty and in God's plan, he, uh, he spoke to, to each of us and gave a very uh, step-by-step process. Uh, Darren spoke on pressing on towards the prize. And John spoke last week about laying down every burden um, as we are moving towards uh, uh, it's, it, you know, this race's ultimate conclusion. And, um, and I get to preach today about heaven. And uh, wow, what a, what a great week it's been uh, just for me. And I really hope that uh, each of us would, would catch uh, just a picture of what this future reality is going to be like. Um, I will also say that um, in light of all of the events going on in Israel, uh, I, I think probably many of us have been thinking about uh, our own mortality, uh, our own um, death at, at some point, uh, and also about uh, eternity. So just show of hands, how many of you have thought uh, this week about eternity and, and life and, and death and, uh, and all of that? Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. So um, before we begin, quick question here. Uh, question number two, or this is slide number two there. Oh, by the way, you're going to see a lot of really neat images. They were all created by the AI. Hmm. Pretty fun. Pretty, pretty unique. So, all right. So before we begin, 37 seconds, no more than that. Turn to your neighbors. When you think about heaven, what are some things that come to mind? So you have to describe heaven. And, uh, and second question, how often do you think about heaven on an average day? All right, that feels like about 37 seconds. <laughs> that feels like about 37 seconds. <laughs> approximately, approximately, approximately. So let's clear up some things that are out there in the world about uh, heaven that aren't true, and, uh, and then we'll move towards some things that are true. Uh, first and foremost, heaven is not going to be a never-ending church service. So if you were looking forward to one, it will not be an ever-ending search. I got some uh, applause. <laughs> wow. Uh, also, uh, Canon, unfor- where's Canon? Canon, he- bathroom, okay. Uh, it will also not be a never-ending sing-along in the sky. Uh, we will not be sitting on clouds all day, nor will we be playing harps all day. So I don't know if anyone mentioned those. Sorry. Or, yeah, yeah, I'm happy for us. Um, big one, you are not going to be bored in heaven. You know, how long is heaven going to last for? Ever. That's a long time. And uh, you, you should not be worried about ever being bored while you are there. Um, you will not be spirit with no body. All right? You're not just going to be floating around. You are not going to be an angel. 
Okay, so just, just to get it, those, these are all kind of some misconceptions about heaven. And, uh, you know, a lot of these things are just product of the fact that Satan doesn't want you thinking rightly about heaven. You know, uh, you know Mark Twain and, uh, you know, has uh, Huckleberry Finn complaining about heaven. He's just like, all we got to do is sit and play harps all day. Like, I'd rather go to the other place. Um, because, you know, Mark Twain was an unsaved person, and that, that is how he imagines things. Um, you know, the devil has no desire for us to think about these things, um, because a true vision of, of heaven and eternity is going to be so far beyond uh, anything that I'm going to be able to explain, uh, certainly, but uh, beyond what we can even um, fully comprehend and imagine. And, you know, the reason for that is Satan using culture um, is, you know, trying to make sure that people aren't looking forward to it. Why? Why does he do this? Uh, Because he doesn't want us to be thinking rightly, and he certainly doesn't want us to be uh, looking forward with hope towards eternity. So, if that's what heaven is not, what is heaven? I, didn't, you know, I don't know. I can't really fully explain this to you, but as I've been researching, as I've been thinking about it, I, I came up with this idea, and um, so here's, follow with me, okay? This is totally fiction, but I, I just want you to paint a picture for you. <laughs> You're cold and wet. Your skin is heavy with icy slush, and hail is lashing your face, and you hear the stor- sound of a storm overhead, and you are walking home. It feels like you've been walking forever. Um, in fact, it feels like you've been walking home your whole life. And in the distance, you see a glow, and you realize it's your door. You pick up your, your pace, you press on, you reach it, and just as you reach the door, the door opens before you, and you step into a warm room. Instantly, you are, your, your body warms up, the sound of the storm disappears completely, And uh, right at the side, right at your right hand is a warm towel, and someone has set some nice clean clothes for you to change into. You get out of your wet rags, and you slip into just the most comfortable clothes you can possibly imagine. You put on shoes. They just fit perfectly. You're comfort. And then you step into the next room of the house, and to your joy, you are greeted by Jesus Christ himself. He is more than you could ever have imagined, and he is looking at you with complete and utter joy and satisfaction, so happy to see that you've come home. And he sweeps you into his arms, and you are held in his embrace. And for the first time, you really are home. When you're done, he takes you into the next room, and you see your friends, and you see your family, people you haven't seen in years, and they're already there, and they're gathered around a warm fire, and someone hands you a, you know, a, delici- a cup of something delicious, right? I don't know, coffee, tea, you know, hot cocoa, right? Yeah, just looking at my, my youth students down here. With the perfect amount of whipped cream, right? You're just like, oh my gosh, this is it's amazing. And Jesus begins walking you around the room, introducing you to people, showing you things. And eventually he leaves you. He leaves you, you know, with a friend, and you, together you, you plop yourself down on a comfortable chair, and your father, family gathers around you. You are so happy. You are so excited. They want to hear about your journey. They want to hear about what you've been doing, and you want to hear about what they've been doing. And that's just the first few minutes, as I imagine, what eternity is going to be like. Of a lifetime, an infinite string of years continually getting better and better. And again, that's just a picture, and it's a fictional one, and it could be, you know, not nearly as as grand as I tried to paint it out, but it captures my heart's longing. 
as we think about heaven, as we think about imagining going there and, and being there, you know, God actually wants us to desire being in heaven. That is our home. That is the place that he intends for us to be. He did not make us to live here in this shadow land. We're not supposed to be comfortable when we're here. When we look at the news and we, we see the things that are, uh, that are out there, you know, we, we know that this is not our home. Oh, I guess, I guess I didn't put that slide on there. That's okay. He made us for himself and to enjoy him forever. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand. Set your mind on the things above and on the things that are on earth. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life and our life, is manifested, then also will be manifested with him in glory. The Lord has instructed his citizens to think about him, to think about the place where our lives are actually hidden. And it's not here. He is the perfect, eternal, all-powerful, all-wonderful, all-perfect God who needs absolutely nothing, including our uh, thoughts about him. He doesn't need it because he's perfect. Right? Perfect beings don't need things. So if it's true that he wants us to think about heaven, is it for his sake or is it for our sake? I'm asking the class. <laughs> is it for his sake or is it for our, our sake? Turn to your neighbor. It is our sake, yes. When our hearts and minds are pointed towards heaven, we are more easily able to bear the pain and the frustrations of this life. And we're more easily able to say no to sin. Let me imagine uh, two women here. Both women are getting ready for their wedding. And uh, the first woman is a bride, and she is thinking daily about her, her wedding to come. She's thinking about uh, her husband-to-be, and she is counting down those days. She doesn't know when her, when her husband-to-be is coming. She doesn't know when the bridegroom is coming, but she is, she's got her magazines, she's reading, she's imagining, she's prepping, she's planning. She's thinking about what it would be like to be um, this man's wife and uh, to have a loving husband. Woman number two is more indifferent about her wedding coming up. Her husband-to-be didn't say when he was going to come back, and so she's, you know, indifferently planning for it. She sometimes thinks about him. She sometimes thinks about what it would be like to be married. But, you know, right now she's just, she's just busy. She's busy with work, and she's busy with her friends, and, you know, she's got tickets to Taylor Swift, and, you know, she's, she's doing things. She's doing things, and, you know, she's just, stuff going on in her life. Now, of these two women, which one is more likely to be seduced away from her fiancé? The second one. The second one. And it's the same with us. If our hearts are set above, we are, it is very difficult for us to be pulled away into the love of this world. But if our hearts and affections are placed here on earth, it's very easy for us to be sidelined and, and have our lives shipwrecked. So just be thinking about that. And before we actually get now into heaven itself and thinking about that, let's, let's talk about the, the present heaven uh, and the future heaven, because there's a lot of, you know, questions about where these places would be. Right now, if you were to die or if we were to be raptured, didn't happen, um, we would go to the present heaven, but that heaven is not our eternal home. 
In Revelation 21, 1, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then God says from his throne, in 21.5, Behold, I am making all things new. That word new, by the way, is new the same, not new as in different. So it's not like there's going to be green and purple grass. Okay, it's, it's new the same, but it's, it'll be like refreshed. It's like, this is a new bicycle. It's very similar to the old bicycle, but it is a new bicycle. So the current heaven, if we were to die today, if the rapture were to happen today, we would actually just be in a, a pit stop place, a holding place, uh, before the eternal one will be. And when the new heavens and the new earth are created, it will be an intimate welding and uh, continuation of, uh, of heaven and earth. So, so just make sure that's clear in everyone's mind. So when I say heaven tonight, today, I'll, I'll just kind of be using it as a catch-all phrase for the future eternity. So with all of that as a backdrop, let's move on to heaven. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, the Bible is, is primarily a book not about heaven. It's primarily a book about God's redemption plan for, for uh, humanity, right? Genesis tells us how paradise was lost. Revelation tells us uh, how paradise is regained. Uh, it is a love letter from Christ explaining uh, how much he loved his, uh, his people, and he loved them this much on the cross. So if you will, turn to Revelation 6. Verses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, and if not, you can just read along up here. Again, a lot of the things that I'm going to be talking about today we can infer, uh, but some things we absolutely know for truth about heaven. And so this is uh, when God is, uh, Jesus is opening the seals. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on earth? Then they were given each a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And you're like, that does not sound very encouraging, Justin. <laughs> So barring the talk of blood and judgment, just for a moment, let's consider what this verse actually does tell us about this heavenly realm. First and foremost, we see that there are souls under the altar, and those souls have voices, which implies that they have throats and mouths to make noise. They have a concept still of right and wrong. They still have desires, one of which is the desire for God to judge the world. They are allowed to ask God questions, and God speaks to them directly before his throne. They remember being killed. They can see God and his holy attributes. They are each given individual robes, meaning that they have distinctness. Robes also suggest that they have a physical form. That is understandable by John as he is looking at this scene. And they are told to rest a little longer, which means that there is both time and an anticipation of things to come. This is a far, far cry from heaven just being this ethereal realm of spirit and you're just in oneness, I suppose. Heaven is a real place 
with real structures, and we will have real senses and memories that are totally relatable to how we are having them today. And you'll still be you. I will say that again, because there's, there's, there's a lot of discussion online about this. You will still be you in heaven. Your family will still be your family. Your friends will still be your friends. And you will recognize them, and they will recognize you. And that is very encouraging. And that is very encouraging. What else can we know about heaven? We know that God has a kingdom, and we are going to rule and reign with him. Revelation 5.9 says, By your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nations, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our gods, and they shall reign on the earth. In God's kingdom, we will see God and we will worship him. We will live in a kingdom with fellow heirs and priests and we will rule and reign with Christ on earth. In Revelation 21, 24 through 26, we see, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. People will still live in national identity groups. There will be actual kings there will never again be a war, an invader, a burglar, as is seen by the fact that the gates are never shut. And we will bring gifts and tributes to Jerusalem every year, which suggests that we will actually be doing things and making things of value and meaning throughout eternity. And we will bring them to God just as an outpouring of love. And I think about my dad, who is right here, and I imagine that he will be preparing some sort of musical offering for the Lord. Uh, and he'll take his guitar, and he'll, he'll walk up to, the, to heaven and, uh, or to, uh, to the New Jerusalem, and, and he will be able to offer that to the Lord. And, and all of us will be able to bring something, something to the Lord, and it will be of such great joy for us. In Psalm 37, 9 through 11, and verse 22, we see, For the evildoers shall be cut off. Let me say that one more time, especially in these days. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look closely at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundance peace. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The promises of God have been made and he is not a liar. The future will exist in a real place, and we will really live there, and the creation that God saw as good will be good forever and always. Amen. Some will live and work on farms. Some will work and live in forests, in mountains, in city. Some in the very city of the New Jerusalem. But all of God's people will be given specific allotments that will be theirs. That will be theirs. We are told that we will rule with Christ, but what will we rule and what can we infer from the Scripture? Well, we know for sure that God created Adam and Eve to rule, 
and that they were there to glorify God with what they were doing there. And so we can infer that responsibilities will be similar to that. In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, we read, After this I looked and beheld a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The future will be filled with worship and joy and people from every culture will be there. This has always been God's plan for the people of this world. And this is why God hates racism so much. We cannot be a racist. We cannot hate people groups. We can hate what they do. But if heaven is going to be filled with every nation and tribe, then we have to be lovers today. Our job will be to worship. You know, currently we share with Christ's sufferings. This is a suffering world. In the future, we will share his creation and his reward. He's the ruler of the universe. He is our father and ruling is the family business. Every citizen of heaven will have an appointed role, and that role will be fulfilled for you in a meaningful way. And it will contribute to the whole of his kingdom. You will not have a pointless role. You will not be overlooked by Christ, whatever he has for you to do. And he will not be indifferent to your effort. Have you thought about this, that serving is actually a reward? And working for the Lord is actually the joy that we ought to be anticipating. In Genesis 1, 26, the Lord said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. As you imagine the future in heaven, let's go back to the original purpose. You were made to work. And that work was supposed to be good. Very good. <laughs> if you don't look forward to work today, it's part of the fact that we live in a fallen world. That it does not operate the way that it should, or the way that God intended. You know, Adam, and Eve Adam and Eve had jobs before uh, the curse and the fall, and so it follows that we would have them as well. How many of you love currently what you do right now? Like, if you could do it for free, you would do this thing for free. I see some hands. Some of those hands look like retired people, though. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's interesting. <laughs> you know, because of the curse of sin, everything here on earth does not work and function the way that it should. There is frustration in the things that we do. As a teacher, I will tell you right now, it is very frustrating to be very excited about a lesson and then have the students just not be interested at all. The cool thing here is that in uh, the future, uh, your life is going to be filled with all of the things that you want to do, all the things that you were created to do. And, and just, we actually get a little taste of heaven. How many of you have done something, and at the end of it, you're like, I'm pretty happy with how that turned out. Anyone have that moment? There you go. That's a taste of heaven. <laughs> That's a taste of eternity. Meaningful work. That is a glimpse of, uh, of, of the way God intends work to look like. And God has desired you with, 
with gifts and things that you are already currently motivated to do. And, and personally, I have no desire to play the tuba. Any tuba lovers in the, in the room? I bet you would appreciate it, though, if, uh, if it was missing in, a, in an orchestra. You know, throughout eternity, there will be people that will play the tuba for the Lord. And they will be very excited to play the tuba. That does not do it for me, but it, it definitely will do it for them. And Jesus will be there watching them and enjoying their tuba playing uh, for all eternity. God gave us natural inclinations for things, for things that already fill us with joy. Are they there just randomly? Or are they there because the Lord intends for you to worship him through those things? You know, as I said earlier, we were told to be people that will rule with Christ, and we can infer that there will be responsibility in heaven. If, if there are going to be kings and administrators, I might be looking at future kings and administrators right now. I, also, many of us might also be working for other kings and administrators. And here's the encouraging thing. If you are an administrator, a king for eternity, you will be the best job. You'll be the best for it, and you will lovingly serve everyone that is beneath you, all right? And if you have people above you, they will be the best bosses that you could ever possibly imagine. They will encourage you, they will support you, and they will be everything that maybe our earthly uh, employers uh, were not. And if there were people that are alongside us, we will work lovingly, not competitively, unless that competition is, you know, for God's enjoyment. Um, it will be the way it's supposed to be. I like to imagine this just because I think about Adam and Eve, and, and maybe this will encourage some people in here. You know, it, may, it might be that some people will not actually be responsible for other people, but they might actually be responsible for, for places, for things. Um, might it be possible that people be in charge of a forest or an ocean or um, mountains or flowers? Can you imagine growing a garden for the Lord? He gives you a land and he says, I want you to cultivate this for me and for my glory. Oh, roll up my sleeves, get my gloves. I am ready to go. I am ready to go. Might it be that somebody is responsible for puppies? I bet a lot, of, I, I know a lot of my students would be excited about that. Uh, or African cats, you know, or, or owls. I don't know. Uh, we know that Adam and Eve were given responsibility over the animals, so... I mean, it follows that that could be a part of somebody's future as well. King David wrote in Psalm 1611, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And this describes everyone who is in Christ, in that future state. If there is joy and pleasure in activity today, it makes sense that it will be throughout eternity as well. It wasn't man that invented wit or humor or laughter. It was God. God is infinite and limitless, and so it follows that he will provide that same infinity and limitlessness <laughs> throughout the new heavens and the new earth. And if you believe that God is boring, it's because you are thinking wrongly. God is not boring. He is emphatically not boring. It was he who invented the incredible invistas that you go and see at the Grand Canyon. He invented our taste buds, our adrenaline systems that we enjoy while we're at a roller coaster. He gave us nerve endings from which we can feel pleasure and to give back joy and thankfulness to God. He was the inventor of those things. 
And if we've been given amazing enjoyment here in this fallen place, how much more in that heavenly home? The future will likely include never-ending adventures that will be meaningful and exciting. And let me paint another picture for you. Again, totally fictional, but just as I imagine. Imagine that the Lord says to you, son, there is a crack in a mountain, and I want you to explore it for me. And he wants you to go with him. And because you have a powerful new body and no fear, you go and you descend into the depths of the canyon and Jesus Christ goes with you, right behind you, encouraging you all along the way. You descend deeper, deeper, and deeper and you discover a canyon the size of, Grand Can- of the Grand Canyon made of purple crystals. And it just goes on and on for miles. And in your joy, you turn and you worship Jesus. You write a song to him. You send forth your joy into that place just amazed at what he has created. And then you rush out with him and you bring your family and you bring your friends and you tell them, look at this place the Lord has sent me to. And you bring them and together you worship the Lord for all eternity. He is a limitless God. And if he wants to include this, it would be something he would do. And he would be overjoyed to see you worshiping him. Especially as, you know, our, our bodies get older and more frail and we can do less and less and less, it is exciting to think that we will be able to move, you know, with speed and agility. And maybe that's a hopeful message today. I could go on and on and on about this, but I, the, today's sermon is really just to whet your appetite, to get you thinking again about eternity, your, your future home, so that you would not be burdened today when you look at the news and be like, oh, when will this be over? Now you will look forward to it. When will this be over? With a smile. You know, it stands to reason that we will learn in heaven. We'll grow smarter. We'll grow wiser. And we will be more and more fulfilled. We'll grow in endless capacity for it. If you have an infinite amount of times, then you're, it's an exponential growth. People will write books. They'll write symphonies. There will be culture and architecture and new way of doing things. And more than that, people will love to use their gifts to exercise them and to get better and better and better through them. And we will all be looking to Jesus and be like, look what I made. Look what I made for you. And he will smile and he will be blessed. We'll play sports. Why wouldn't we? We'll sing songs. We'll dance. We'll tell stories. And we'll laugh. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those of you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. And hell, by contrast, is going to be dull and boring. It will be a place of conscious punishment for sins with no hope of relief. He said it was a place where the, the, you know, the flame does not, uh, is quenched and the worm does not die. And whether this be literal or symbolic, the, the image is clear. This is eternal conscious misery. But catch this. Hell, by contrast of heaven, will be dull, small, and insignificant. There will be no company without purpose. There will be no accomplishment. It will not have any stories. It will be a footnote in history, a crack in the pavement. As the new universe moves onward, hell and its occupants will exist in utter darkness, inactivity, and insignificance. An eternal life, non-life of regret. 
But better than anything, better than everything I've described, you will see God. That is our joy. That is our hope. Revelation 22.4 says, They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Psalm 27.4, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, and that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And Jesus said in Matthew 5.8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Imagine that day is coming. Every day, we are one day closer to that, by the way. We don't know when we're going to die. We don't. But every day, we're one day closer. And you can wake up tomorrow and be like, I'm one day closer to home. I'm one day closer to seeing you. In that day, you will look into God's face, and he will look into yours. This is the God who envisioned the universe, who holds black holes and subatomic particles together. He is the one who designed DNA, the cellular structure. He's the one who put the earth on its axis, told it to spin this fast and no faster. That God will look into your face, and you will look into his. And that is exciting, and also a little scary, but wonderful. But if you are saved, it's a very good day. (laughs) It's not so good if uh, the white throne judgment, but I'm not talking about that one today. Uh, When we see God, though, we will ultimately see him through Jesus Christ. And when it says that God will wipe every tear from their, their face, um, the one who will be wiping will be Jesus Christ himself. And although we don't necessarily think of it this day, seeing God will actually be our primary joy throughout eternity. To look into God's eyes will be to see the thing that you've actually always been longing for. It will be awesome to see, I don't know, Grand Canyons of purple crystals. That would be amazing. But it will not even be comparable to the joy of seeing Jesus Christ face to face. He is the one that all good pleasure comes from. Seeing God will be like seeing everything for the first time because everything that is beautiful and wonderful is only beautiful and wonderful because he is. Have you thought about the fact that flowers are lovely because God is lovely? Rainbows are stunning because God is stunning. Puppies and kittens are delightful because God is delightful. They express his nature. Study and hard work is rewarding because God is rewarding. And when you are in heaven in the new earth, we will enjoy all things in a deeper and more profound way than we could ever on this side of heaven. I've got one more story. One more story. One day, a kind-hearted king is hunting in one of his forests when he discovers a blind orphan picking at a tree for bits of lichen and mushroom. It's miserable. The boy is filthy and malnourished, but the king's heart goes out to the boy and offers to take the boy into his palace. For years, the boy grew up under the love and care of this king. uh, He is adopted as a son and is given the best care, the best education. The boy is very grateful, and he loves his king and his father with all his heart. When the boy turns 20, A renowned surgeon presents himself to the pair and says that he can cure the boy's blindness. The king and the son agree to the surgery, and after the operation, the boy is able to see for the very first time. As the bandages come off, his eyes see the beauty of the palace. Magnificent food on a table, floor-to-ceiling windows, looking out on a manicured garden in distant mountains, paintings and tapestries, but the boy only has eyes for his father. Ignoring all of those things, 
the son rushes to his father and weeps that now he can see his face. And together the father shows the son all the things that have been hidden from him, and the two together walk arm in arm, enjoying each other's presence forever. As I close, let me just say this. You were made for that. You were made for heaven because we were made to worship God face to face. He is the fullness of joy that we have all been looking for. And when we see the horrors on the screen and the evils of this world, we are reminded that this is not it. This is not it. He is the reason why we lay aside every hindrance and press on towards the prize. When we cry for justice, it's because God is justice and we are agreeing with him that he ought to be ruling today, tomorrow, and forever. And I can't think of anything more tragic than for me to say all of these things to you, to open up the reality of what heaven will be like, and then for you to not go there to reject him as your king, as the only way to get there. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. He said that in his Father's house there are many rooms and that he is going there to prepare a place for us. And he taught a single message that mankind had sinned against a holy and righteous God, but that forgiveness had come. That whoever would believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior in his finished work on the cross and would repent of their sins, that one would be forgiven and saved and made into a son or daughter. It's never about what you've done or what you could do. It's about what he's done for you. And so if you haven't bent the knee to worship this king, I invite you today, don't let it today go by. Come, we're going to have elders up here in the front. And we want to explain how we can have this relationship with the king. And if your heart's been stirred with excitement about heaven, about this future eternity, about your creator, about your savior, shouldn't you be telling people about this? Shouldn't we be fervently praying for God to give us opportunities to share this with people that are lost? This is good news, right? If this is really the eternal destiny for available to anyone, shouldn't we be telling people so that they can have it too? People are suffering and hurting today. We have the truth of life and we have the promise of eternal joy everlasting. Let's do it. Let's do it. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, I pray that every heart in this place would be stirred with joy adoration and worship, that every heart would beat a little faster at the thought of being with you and being free from this present world of darkness. I pray that we would commit ourselves to meditating on heaven and eternity so that we can flee from sin and to live lives unencumbered by worldly concerns. As we think about the infinite joy of being with you in the new heaven and the new earth, let us also think of those who don't know you yet as their Lord and Savior. Let us redouble our prayers for their salvation. You, O Lord, are our delight and our joy, and we long to be where you are, to give you glory throughout eternity. May we begin today. We pray this in your name.
and for the 